All right, everybody, welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. I am Travis Polly, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. Back, as always, with Wes McAdams. Hi, Wes. Hey, brother. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I'm doing very well. I'm doing better than I was last week. That's last right. week, I was kind of lost my voice, and so mm-hmm. we didn't record last week. I, I, I keep thinking, every time you do the intro, I yeah. keep thinking, maybe someday something will happen to my voice where I still have a voice, but I can talk at a cool register like Travis. Every time I meet somebody <laughs> that and they tell me that they're a fan of the podcast, yeah. they're always like, that Travis Polly, he really has a radio voice. So oh, it's better to have nice. a radio voice than it is a face for radio. For radio. Well, yeah. I haven't gotten that comment yet. No, so. no, you've got a face for video and audio. So And, well, a, and a voice, definitely. This is a great audio. way to start the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And we've got a brand new study yeah. lined up today. We're going to try to keep it to one episode, but you never yes. know. You never know. It could bleed over. It is a really big subject, and yeah. I don't know if we can cover it in, in its fullness. Uh, I'm sure we can't cover it in its fullness, but at least do an adequate job of talking about this in one episode. But we'll, we'll try to do that. Yeah. I want to talk about the flesh and the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, walking by the flesh, walking by the spirit. So we use the word flesh... <laughs> It's kind of a weird word, mm-hmm. and and it's sort of the way we use it. We only use it that way in religion. So, sort of the the obvious meaning of the word flesh is what what do you think most people think of when they hear flesh? Skin, yeah, body. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so like the skin, it, and that's true both in English, flesh, and in Greek, which is sarx. The the word for that we we translate as flesh mm. can just be skin, like the the meat on on, on our bones right. or, or an animal's bones for that matter, um, or it could be used for the entirety of the body. So we could call the entire body their flesh, mm. um, and so that's sort of the the base level, the the obvious level, the most natural meaning of the word mm. is dealing with the body or the skin or the flesh. Um, and, and so that's what the Greek word means as well. But then the way that it's used a lot in the Bible is sort of metaphorical. And so we start to move into this metaphor way of using the word flesh. That's just a little bit different than the, sort of the natural meaning of the word. Right. And one of the ways that we could use it that sort of bridges the gap, I think, uh, between like the the very natural way of using it and the metaphor way or the literal and the metaphor. And that is like natural descent. So Paul might say that we are descended from Abraham according to the flesh. Mm. So saying our, our natural descent, that these are, this is our, our fleshly forefather. So in other words, our, our body came from his body. It's so we descended from him. Um, but then Paul also uses it. First Corinthians chapter one and verse 26 is an example. Uh, in the ESV, it reads this way. It says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Mm -hmm. And then the ESV has a footnote that says, or the flesh. So not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, or not many of you were wise according to the flesh. Mm. And so it, it could be used in a way to say maybe the appearance of things, like the way things appear to be, or the way that uh, people naturally judge things, or the standards that, that people use. Um, and so he's saying that uh, not many of you were wise according to 
the, the, the surface level or the appearance level of things or the way the world judges things. Um, hmm. Try to turn my computer on do not disturb um, so that it won't be beeping in our ear. Um, but then, then there's the, the other way that Paul uses this word flesh. And it, it's so difficult for us to sort of wrap our mind around this, I think, mm. that, that that's one reason that some translations don't translate sarks as flesh in this case. Like the NIV typically goes with the phrase sinful nature. Mm. So when it translates sarks, it translates that not as flesh, but as sinful nature. Now, on the very literal reading of that, that's two very different things, right? Your, right? your skin, your body, your flesh, and a sinful nature. Like mm. you've added, you've added the idea of nature. You've added the idea of sinfulness right. to that word. So it might seem like why would the translators go from a word that means flesh or body or skin to something that implies that there is a part of your very nature that is sinful. Well, mm-hmm. it's because of the way Paul uses the word. And so they're, they're not way off in left field somewhere. The right. way Paul uses this word is to say that, to use as a, as a metaphor to say that our body has all sorts of natural desires, mm. all sorts of base desires. And I really like the word weakness. And I think that I think the word weakness for flesh covers sort of both sides of it, that we are morally weak and we are mortally weak. So we are morally weak in that we have all of these base desires that are that are sinful and that are broken and that are corrupt, and our flesh, our body, is mortally weak as well. Like we right. are mortal, we die. We're we're we come from the dust, and, and to the dust we will return. So I I like the word weakness, and that when Paul uses flesh, a lot of the time he's talking about weakness, whether it's the weakness of our body and that we're going to die, we're flesh and blood, or he's using it to talk about that part of us that is filled with base desires, that's filled with sinful desires. Um, And I think this is an important discussion because when we talk about the fleshly nature of people— one mistake we could make is to disregard that n- part of our nature and give too much credit to the natural state of human beings. Mm. And I think that it's really easy to do that. It's really easy to say, well, people are, for the most part, very good, and people are kind and good and generous and wonderful, but ignore the fact that, yeah, but people can be horrible. And even when we do good things, sometimes we're motivated by very selfish reasons. Mm-hmm. And when those selfish reasons are taken to their natural conclusion, then they, they actually lead to more harm. And even some of our very best efforts and things that we do in order to do good, when the natural person does them, they spiral into something that is unhealthy and broken and corrupt. But I think that there would be another error to give too little credit to the natural man, to forget that we are made in the image of God, that right. we we can do. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, he says that some people do by nature what the law requires. He says even the Gentiles who don't have the law, sometimes they do what the law requires. They love people. Like even, and we've talked about that on the podcast, that atheists love their families, right. even though an atheist 
is a naturalist. Most atheists that I know are naturalists, and they think that we sprang from non-living matter, that non-living matter somehow became living matter, and then that living matter eventually evolved into humanity, right. and that humanity is nothing but evolved pond scum. And, and really, there's no greater purpose. There's no bigger purpose outside of ourself. So for a Christian, we look at that and say, well, then what motivation do you have to be kind and loving and good and whatever? But they do. They do. Sure. I mean, they, they don't live as if life doesn't matter. They don't live as if their family doesn't matter. They don't live as if they're not, they're, they're just evolved pond scum. They actually do love and they're kind. And I've known all kinds of kind and good atheists. Um, and so as Christians, we look at that and say, where does that come from? And we say, well, that comes from God because their image bear, even if they don't believe in God, even if they hate God, even if they're angry at God, even if they disbelieve in God, they're still image bearers of God. And there's Mm -hmm. still something in their conscience that is shaped by and molded by God so that some of the things that they do are what the law requires, even if they disregard the law, even if they disregard everything that God has revealed about himself in scripture. But but there is something about humanity in our natural state, mm. the natural man, the fleshly man, and when I say man, I mean humanity, the natural person with all of his desires, if you take into consideration all of our desires and all of our ambitions, then we are broken and corrupt, that there is something that is off (laughs) about us. And Paul would even take this so far as to say that we are so broken and corrupt in our natural state that the natural person, his flesh, (laughs) and by that, again, he just means his, 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 animal self, his, his base being, his natural self is so broken and corrupt that even when the law, which is good, when a good rule comes in and, and the natural man hears a good law that it, even the good law brings out something bad, something wrong in him, not because the law is bad, not because the law is broken, but because people are broken, because mm. humans are broken. The natural man is broken. The fleshly man is broken. And so the NIV translators have tried to take that whole concept and wrap it up with, and, and again, you, you've got some Calvinism and you've got 2,000 years of church history that's kind of yeah. wrapped up in there. We're and sort of skirting around the edges right now. Right, exactly. Sin and things like that's that. exactly right. And yeah. I think some people have gone so far, like Calvin, have gone so far as to say that humanity is totally depraved. Right. I, think that, I think that's to go too far, but I, I don't, I think sometimes we don't go far enough in saying that humanity is morally and mortally broken. Mm -hmm. Like we are mortal and we are immoral. Like we, there is something so desperately wrong with us that when we're presented with a good rule, there's something in us that rebels against that good rule. And Paul calls that part of us where that brokenness dwells our flesh. And so I, I want to kind of break that out and look at look at some of these passages. So uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Now, Paul's talking about the law, and he has been explaining to them, of course, that we're set free from sin. 
not by the law, but by grace, that we're saved by grace, right. and, and saying that the law couldn't set us free from sin. And, and then he, he has to always fight against this pushback, especially from the Jewish community, who would say, ah, oh, what are you saying? Are you, you're against Moses? You're against the law? How dare you blaspheme the law? And so he says in Romans 7 and verse 7, what then shall we say? And he's kind of hypothetically talking about, uh, you know, what his, his opponents might say, I think. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Now, throughout Romans chapter 7, and there's a lot of debate around this, but I don't think I don't think that Paul is talking about his own personal life. I think Paul is talking I don't think he's talking about his own personal struggle with sin. Right. I think he's talking about the fact that this is this is humanity, mm-hmm. that humanity at one point, didn't have the law, and then when the law comes along and says, don't covet, then the the, the humanity goes, oh, what, well, what is coveting, and what does that look like, and why should I want what my neighbor has, and oh, I, I do kind of like what my neighbor has. And he says, apart from the law, sin lied, it was like it was lying dormant. It was like it would it lied it was lying dead within us, lying in our flesh. And then when the law came along, and he says the law was good, but it evoked something in us that was bad. And it wasn't because of the law's brokenness, but humanity's brokenness. He says in verse ten, the very commandment that promised life, because it says if you obey this law, then you'll have life. Right. It actually proved to be death to me for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good did that which is good then bring death to me by no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure and so he says that the law, what it does is it brings out this brokenness in us so that it can be condemned, so that it can sh- be shown to be sin. But it's not the law's fault that it brings out all of this in us. It's the fact that there's something broken in us, which the, the application to this is that we need more than rules. Like rules won't fix what's wrong with us. And that was the problem that Paul was dealing with in his day, and we still deal with in our day, is that we just think all we need is a different set of rules. And so Jesus comes along and he takes away the old set of rules and gives us a new set of rules, but we ignore the fact that that doesn't fix what's wrong with us. And so if we're still trying to just follow the rules and do all of these things, Paul says even coveting, even if there was just one rule, don't covet. Like I, I wouldn't have even coveted had you said don't covet. And it's then, planted the seed in right, your mind. Right, that's yeah. exactly right. And and we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. There was one rule: don't eat that tree. Don't eat of that that tree. And and that rule itself, it provoked it provoked something inside the desires that lied within the flesh. And see, this is why I think this this brokenness even predates 
the fall, even though they are the archetypes, they are the the first ones, and we continue to follow in their footsteps, they already had those desires within them. Otherwise, if there wasn't something wrong in Adam and Eve, then why did they sin in the first place? Why did they sin? They didn't. They weren't forced to sin, but they sinned because they followed. There was a desire desires in there that was off. exactly exactly that were that was in their flesh, and maybe it was because they. They didn't eat of the tree of life, and maybe had they eaten of the tree of life instead of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But it, I think the whole story goes to show what's wrong with not just Adam and Eve, but what's wrong with Travis and Wes, and what's wrong with right. all humanity is that in our flesh, in our natural body, in our existence, and that's not to like separate out like, well, our spirit is good, but our flesh is bad, or our right. soul is good, but our flesh is bad. No, that's Gnosticism, that's dualism, that's not what Paul is promoting. He's simply saying that the natural man, our natural self, is broken, and there's something in us that even a good law, when a good law comes along, it evokes us, it provokes us to do the wrong thing, not because the law is wrong, but because there's something in us that's wrong. He says, verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So Paul says that the natural man, and I, I think he is, I think there is a degree to which he's talking about his own life prior to Jesus. Right. I don't think he's talking about his his current present life as he's writing this, but I think he's saying this is this is our state. This is humanity's state. That that we we hear the law and we say, I want to do that. Like that's good. I, I want to do the right thing. But the very thing that I want to do and then I know is the right thing and the good thing to do, I don't do it. Why don't I do it? I want to do it. I want to do the right thing, but I don't do it. And he says, it's sin that dwells within me. He says, verse 18, for I know that nothing good, and this is where we struggle, I think, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I don't want to do is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that even when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And again, I think he's talking about this cycle that humanity is in. And and what a what a profound way to say that, that even even beyond the revealed law and the revealed word and the revealed truth, I think everybody can relate to this struggle. Even we've talked about that on the podcast too, that that even the secular world, they all have a standard by which they say, here's what we should do, here's what people should do, here's how humans should live. And but if they got real honest and be like, well, do you do that? Like, do you live by that standard or do you fall short of that standard? And they would have to admit that even they fall short of the standard they set. It wasn't somebody else set that standard for them. They set it for themselves and they still fell short of that. Like, do you think you should be kind to people? Yes, absolutely. We should be kind. I saw a bumper sticker said, be kind. And I agree with that. Like, yes, amen and amen. But like, if you think by, if everybody would just be kind, just be kind. And then you stop them and be like, okay, so we should be kind. Yes, absolutely. Are you? 
Like, are you always kind? No, I'm not always kind. And they would have to admit they're not always kind. Or like the the coexist bumper sticker, like I tolerate everybody. And yeah. but like, who do you not tolerate? Like, what do you not tolerate? Like, what do you what makes you really upset? Like, wh- who do you want to kick out? And who do you who do you hate? And you hate their guts. Like, they probably hate somebody, and they're not willing to tolerate something. So we don't even live up to the own. Even if we could see, and we're like, oh, that would be the way. Oh, wouldn't that be great if everybody lived that way? And we still fall short of that. And so even, even in their brokenness, even in our brokenness, we still see good and we know good when we see it and we even want to do good. There's very few people that are like, yeah, I know that's bad and I want to do all the bad stuff. There's some people like that, but very few and nobody ever starts out that way. Right. And, and that, has, that cynicism and brokenness, that has to come over time. Most people want to do good things. They want to be good people. But Paul says there's something broken in us that even when we see good and know good and want to do good, we don't do good because the sin that dwells in our flesh. Man, it's a lot to unpack. Yeah. (laughs) I'm thinking about several things right now. First, one thing you just made me think of was, I think, like you said, there's very few people, and, and I would agree with you on that, that that, but I know it talks about in scripture, there's people that, you know, God gave them over to a depraved mind. There's sure. people that will call bad good and good bad. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, we that, definitely get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you become consumed, yep. if you, if you become consumed by nihilism and just, you know, I mean, the, one of the tenets of modern, the philosophy of nihilism is that man is a cancer on the earth and yeah. it would be better if we did. It's like, that's, yeah, that's calling bad good to right. the ultimate degree. Yep. yep. And it's, so it's like, again, I agree, there's, that's not most people, most people, you know, even, you know, believers and non alike are striving for good and yet failing their own standards, let alone the standards we all set for each other. Right, or that God set for all of us. that God set for all of us. But I also keep thinking about these two things. I want to hear what you think of this. There's a, I know from, you know, when I was learning to write stories, write scripts and, um, there's a type of character you might know the foil right mm. and the foil is not the is not the antagonist to the to the protagonist it's it's actually often it's a friend mm. or it's a sibling or it's a it's somebody that's a that's a, kind of on the same team yeah. as the hero yeah but they're not necessarily working in harmony with them uh-huh. and so there's this there's this, you know, pushback yeah. and forth. There's, you know, I've, I've seen some like in TV shows and movies, the foil will be somebody who kind of, they, they know how to get the hero's goat. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they're on the same team. Yeah. And so I keep thinking about this idea of within each of us is the guy who wants to do good. Yeah. And then the guy who seems to not want to listen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then I, that remind, and then that reminded me of, this idea that we see in Genesis and then play out through the rest of the Bible of when, you know, when Jacob wrestles with God and he's renamed Israel mm-hmm. you know, those, and that, that, that nation became those who wrestle with God. Right, right. I mean, do you think that has some, I, I, I keep yeah. thinking of that concept because yeah. of how, I mean, that's what, that's what we're talking about yeah. with this flesh versus spirit. Yeah. It's yeah. like we have two 
seemingly different beings yeah. in the same, housed in the same Well, and, and even flesh. like before we even get there, because yeah. Paul, when he's talking about spirit, he's not talking about his spirit or our spirit. Mm, but he's talking about the spirit. The spirit. And we'll get to that in just a second, yeah. because that's really good. Because here, he's not talking about us as sort of dualistic beings. Right. Even though he is saying there's a, there's he doesn't necessarily talk about it as there's a part of me. He's just saying, I want to do, he's not saying my spirit wants to do necessarily. Right. Um, at least I don't think he uses that phrase, but he's saying, I, I want to do that, but I'm still flesh. And because I'm flesh, I end up doing what I don't want to do. So that there, there maybe is like a, a kind of a clash within ourselves, but I love that idea that you brought up. And I love that, that you tied that into the wrestling with God, because yeah. it's almost like God is the hero of the story. So yeah. God's the hero of the story, and then we're the foil. <laughs> we're the friend <laughs> right. that God says, I want to partner with humanity. In the very beginning, back in the Garden of yeah. Eden, this, this all-powerful, all-knowing, wonderful Elohim, Yahweh Elohim, says, I want to partner with my covenant people. I'm going to create these image bearers my of image, mine. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. I'm going to make them in my image, and I'm going to partner with them to cultivate and to rule over the world. And so he, he partners with humanity, and then we keep messing up. There's something broken in humanity from the garden all the way through the story of Israel all the way to today. There is something broken in our flesh. And that's what Paul is saying over and over again. So it's like, we want to be, there's a part of us that wants to be a good partner with God. And we want to do what is pleasing to God, but we keep foiling. It, it seems like we keep foiling his plan. But what Paul's overarching story is, is that no, God's plan was always accommodating to our weakness. God knew that we would be messing things up, but right. it never messed up his plan. God's plan was accommodating to our weakness. And so because God knew that this was our weakness, it never depended on us. It always depended on God. And that's why the theme throughout Romans is the righteousness of God. Not the righteousness of the Jewish nation, not the righteousness of the Pharisees, not the righteousness of Paul, not the righteousness of you or I, but the righteousness of God, because God is just, because God is patient, because God is merciful, because God is uh, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, because God is who he is, he was willing to hang on to his foil. I love that idea. And he, he held on to us, even though we never did what he wanted us to do. And Paul says that's true for the Jew and it's true for the Gentile, that even though the Jews had the law, they still didn't do what the law required and they still were hung up by their flesh. And so whether we say that we are the foil or the flesh is the foil, I think that I think that's a perfect yeah. image. But I think the overall thing is that nothing was going to mess up the story from ending the way that God wanted it to do. Let me read this one last paragraph and then we could take a quick break. It says in verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So there's the, he doesn't use spirit necessarily, mm. but like there's that's something deep inside, being. right? Yeah. And that's the way like Paul isn't 
as dualistic as we tend to be. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, there's, there's an inner part of me that wants to do the law of God, but I see in my members, in my members, in the parts of my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Here's the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So that that's where we're going to end this part. But he's saying, my mind wants to do the right thing, right. but my flesh is incapable, incapable of doing the right thing because my flesh is weak. I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. Okay, so we talked about in the first part of this segment, or first part of this episode, we talked about the problem. The right. problem is what Paul says, it's the flesh, that there's sin that dwells in our flesh. So I, I like the way the ESV and other translations like the New American Standard, how it maintains that metaphor of the right. flesh. Because I think sinful nature, to me, seems to go too far. And I think that leans towards total depravity. I don't think that what Paul is saying is that we are totally depraved. Mm. Because even that would might imply that, that we can't even think of good or conceive of good or want right. to do good. But Paul says, no, in my mind or in my inner being, I, I want to do what's good. I, I, I understand it. Mm-hmm. I, I can conceptualize it. I can think about it. I can want to do it. But for some reason, in my members, like in the members of my body, my eyes and my, my mouth and my feet and my hands, there is a weakness, a brokenness, a corruption, a sin that, that causes me to, to fall short of God's glory. And so even though in my mind I want to do what's right, my, my flesh can't do it. And so he says, who can deliver us from this body of death? And the answer is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus can. And then in chapter eight, he transitions a little bit more and says, therefore, there, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm. Those who are in Christ Jesus are not condemned. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, so the law itself was not weak, it was not broken, it was not wrong, but it was weakened by the flesh, and so because it was weakened by the flesh, it could not do what God through Jesus has done. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So Jesus died in the flesh to condemn sin in the flesh of all of his people. And so by associating ourselves or uniting ourselves to Jesus in baptism, then we join with him in condemning sin in the flesh. And Paul says that's why Jesus died in the flesh, so that sin could be condemned in the flesh. The law Mm. brought it out, it exposed it, it brought it all into one place, and Jesus in the flesh, even though he personally was innocent of sin, 
he came in the flesh so that sin could be condemned in the flesh. But it doesn't just stop with Jesus taking on the penalty of sin or condemning sin in the flesh. It says, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And and there, most translations probably have capital capital S Spirit. And I think most of the time, Paul talks about the Spirit. It's capital S Spirit. And even when Paul uses the word spiritual, spiritual, when he uses spiritual, I think even then he's talking capital S. So often we think about spiritual as like non-material, ethereal, or part ethereal, of our soul right, or something. right. Yeah. But for Paul, it's all empowered by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So Paul has found this beautiful way, I think, of sort of lumping together both the Gentiles who are living according to the flesh by, you know, practicing sexual immorality, by going down to the pagan temples, by indulging all of their appetites, and and the religious world, especially the Jewish world, in emphasizing things like eating the right foods and circumcision, right. and especially circumcision. And he's saying, all of you, both those that are indulging your flesh and those that are circumcising their flesh and obsessed right. with circumcising their flesh— all of you have your mind set on the flesh. And this is what's wrong with us. This is our brokenness. It isn't by the flesh that we're going to be set free from this pattern and this cycle. It's only by the Spirit. Only the Spirit can set us free from this cycle of doing what the flesh wants us to do. He says, verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. So he's again, that includes the the proselytizing Jews, the the Judaizers, the circumcision party, and the Gentiles mm-hmm. that are indulging their flesh. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Mm-hmm. So there it is, right there, black and white, plain as day. That when we are in the flesh, and that's all we're operating by, we cannot please God. It doesn't matter if we know good or not. Maybe we know all kinds of good. We're still going to be incapable of carrying it out. If we know it's bad, we know it's good, there is still something broken in us. And so in the flesh, and those who set their mind on the flesh, they cannot please God. The only way we can begin to, even begin to please God is to walk by the Spirit. Of course, there's always still going to be that wrestling. There's always going to be that fact that our, our bodies are not yet redeemed. Mm-hmm. We, we still are carrying around this, this body that in its members, there is a disease, and that disease is sin. And so it's like my fingers and my toes and my eyes and my mouth and my feet and all of this, it still has has those base desires in them, but now I'm something more. In Jesus, we are something more because now in Jesus, in Christ, we are not just flesh. Now we are flesh and 
the spirit who dwells in us. So now we have the ability to walk by the spirit and not just by the flesh. He says, verse nine, you, however, Christians, disciples, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. See, when I first got into ministry, I, I, I began to, I was in a church that was kind of toying with the idea that maybe the spirit only dwelt in us. They weren't real dogmatic about it, but sort of Part, some of the general idea there was that the Spirit only dwelled in us through the Word. Mm-hmm. It's called Word only, you know, kind of a, a, a position on the Spirit. And there's a lot of people that take that position, yeah. that the Spirit only dwells in us through the Scriptures, that the Spirit doesn't actually dwell in us, that, that His words are in us, and so therefore He is in us. And I think that's where we go very wrong, because mm-hmm. the, the Spirit of God also inspired the Hebrew scriptures right. that Paul read from childhood. And and so the word the word was in them too. The the scriptures were in them. The spirit inspired scriptures were in them, dwelled in them. But Paul still says we were incapable of doing the right thing because we were in the flesh. But Jesus Christ came and when Jesus Christ came, he condemned sin in the flesh. And he gave us his spirit so that when the spirit of Christ dwells in us, not only do we belong to him, but now we can begin to be set free from this bondage. Because now, even though he says, verse 10, although the body is dead because of sin, this, this body of mine, it's dying in more ways than one. It, in, again, it's mortal, but right. it's also immoral, and right. it still has it's desires. It's corrupted creation. Exactly. It's yeah. corrupted. And, and that's not to say that the creation is bad, because it's not. Right. Even this body is not bad. And it's not that we should adopt this dualistic idea that it's like, well, I just can't wait to get rid of this body and float away as a spirit because the body is bad. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not a, a Platonist. In fact, he'll go on to say, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life, listen here, everyone, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So he says, this body is going to die, but then it's going to be redeemed. It's going to be given life through the spirit. And just as the spirit right now is giving life to our behavior, at some point it will give life to our mortal body and our mortal body will no longer be flesh. Mm. Now that doesn't mean it will no longer be physical. A a body that's not physical is not a body. That's a contradiction in terms A, a body. That's not, that's not, connected to this body would not be a resurrection. The fact that this body is going to be resurrected, and he says, your mortal bodies will be given life. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about it in terms of transformation. It will be transformed so that it's no longer a body of flesh. It is a spiritual body. And again, not 
ethereal, not non-material, but now it's no longer plagued by the sin that dwells in this flesh. That's, yeah. We won't have those, those base desires if there will not be that conflict right. and he says even now even now the spirit of christ dwells in you anticipating the day when we when we wake up from the grave and where we are no longer these animalistic beings now we are spirit life breathed into beings that have the capacity to do all of the good we want to do the spirit of christ lives in us and so that's why we have the Ability to actually get better. Yes, to get better. Yes, exactly. To do better, to be better, to get better, to do better things for better reasons. Now, until this body dies and then life is given to it and it's transformed, I'm still going to have that struggle. But that fruit, and this is the way he puts it in chapter five of Galatians, that fruit can begin to be seen in us. Like, whoa, they're already, it's like, the resurrection person, I like I like the phrase, I don't forget where I got it first, but humanity 2.0, like yeah. humanity 2.0 is the resurrected man. Mm-hmm. But right now, we are humanity 2.0 software. Like the prototype. Right, right. We are still, <laughs> yeah, we are running, we like are that. running the software for humanity 2.0, yeah. but it's still being run in the hardware of humanity 1.0. Like so that. it's like we're you ever tried to do that on a computer? 1.5, right, Doesn't exactly. There's, it's going to be kind of buggy, right? Yeah, like there's going to be buggy. some glitches, right? <laughs> because we still have the old hardware, but yeah. we're running the new software. I really like that. I, I'm sure that, that that metaphor isn't original to me, but I love that idea yeah. that, that this is why... This is why there is a greater capacity for good now that we're followers of Jesus, but also a greater capacity for tension because it's like, oh, it's so frustrating because now even more than ever, I want to do what's good and I still struggle, but the spirit in us is beginning to do some good things. And Paul says, here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like. Love and joy and peace, mm. and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. If those things aren't being seen in us, then we have to ask the question, are we walking by the Spirit? And so there's two questions that this discussion presents us with. One is, do you have the Spirit? And the other is, are you walking by the Spirit? Right. And so it's possible to continue to to sort of switch back and, and start operating by the old operating system Mm -hmm. as opposed to this new operating system, which is the spirit of God who's living within us. And Jesus shows us what that looks like. It looks like self-denial. It looks like self-sacrifice. It looks like meekness. It looks like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It looks like the Sermon on the Mount. This Mm -hmm. is what it looks like to live a resurrected life. And that's what, that's what baptism pictures is a resurrection and it's right. like I'm being resurrected still in the old world and we're being resurrected in anticipation of the future resurrection and we're beginning to live out the new humanity even in the midst of the old world so even in this age we're beginning to live as if we'd already crossed over into the age to come this is the already and not yet aspect of the kingdom that we right. we often talk about and and that's what it is to walk by the spirit is to live as new creation beings 
even in the midst of the old creation. And people are like, well, how can we do that? Because there's still people that are violent and mean and greedy and whatever. It's like, yes, exactly. And that's what separates the new humanity from the old humanity, who we're supposed to be from who we were. And why the world looks at us and says, why are you so different? Why do you not pursue the things we pursue? Why do you not care about the things we care about? Why do you not operate the way we operate? It's like, because I got new software, because I'm, I'm living a different life. And that's yeah. why the life in the spirit, it, it's not just about a new set of rules. It's about a new way of looking at each other, new way of looking at our neighbors, a new way of looking at our enemies, yeah. a new way of looking at the world. So I think I just keep going back to uh, all the things we've talked about. It's interesting to think about it in terms of the big picture that we get from scripture mm -hmm. and, and thinking about some of those big picture metaphors like shining light in mm -hmm. the darkness, shining light on the darkness. Yeah. yeah. And you brought up about, you know, the creation about, and the fall and the law coming into place and then Jesus coming in and fulfilling the law. Um, the idea that like the law brought something out, the, the sin was dormant, but the law shined a light on yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, again, it's, uh, you know, and I don't want to launch us into another episode here cause we absolutely could now. Um, but I, I think it's hard not to ask those questions of, so was that the point, you know, was that obviously we're not going to get directly into the mind of God here, but was that the point of everything? The idea that, you know, now, now why did sin enter, you know, why did sin enter? Why was sin dormant even mm -hmm. before the fall? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know that we can answer that question, but the purpose of, of everything that's happened mm -hmm. is shining a light on the sin that's cropped up. Yeah. And once you've shined a light on it, you can do something about it. Yeah. And you can, you can create, you can start redeeming and you can start creating something new. Yeah. And I think, again, you take that back to the big picture, mm -hmm. but then you take it to our practical everyday Christian walk, mm -hmm. and it it seems to look something like shine a light. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, when you're working out the bugs, yeah. find them, yeah, find them and shine a light on them, and 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 know that it's not going to be perfect yeah. while you're on an old on an old operating system. Yeah. When well, I think and I think that points out a couple of good things, and I want to clarify something that I said earlier mm. because you said um, that sin lie dormant even before the fall. Yeah, I was and interested about I, I wouldn't that. say I wouldn't say that sin was lying dormant then. It's just that it was there. I, I, well, I don't think sin was there. I think I think it was the flesh. And I think that's why that metaphor of the flesh is so important is mm. that is that even before sin, even before the fall, even before they did what was wrong, there was a weakness. A weakness that was exploited by the deceit of of the serpent, uh, a weakness that that was in them and that's that rebelling yeah and i yeah. think because of that 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 weakness was played upon by the serpent and so that weakness i think preceded mm. the fall and then because of that weakness it led to sin and so it it that's isn't that the weakness itself is sin so right. that's why i don't think that adam and eve had a sinful nature and i don't i wouldn't even classify ours as a sinful nature but i would say that adam and eve were flesh and we are flesh in that they were weak and so are we. And because of our weakness, it gets played upon. Now, for us, especially, Paul says that there is sin that dwells 
in our flesh, in our weakness. Uh, now, how that sin got that, you know, that's a whole, you know, big tangled web right. of theological ideas. But but to get to your point about about shining a light, I, I think that this is this is what goes back to the fall. I think for me, the fall is all about a failure to trust God, mm-hmm. to trust that God knows best. Right. And had Adam and Eve said, you know what, God knows best. And if he says, don't eat of this tree, and you don't need to eat of this tree, and this tree isn't for you to eat from, then I will trust him. And because I trust him, I will obey him. And if they had done that, they they could have lived. But because that's our problem. We don't trust God. We think I've got a better way. Maybe God's withholding something from me. Maybe there's something better. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe this isn't the only way. And so we don't trust God. But what the spirit teaches us to do, what the law would should have taught them to do is like, you can't do it. And I think that even even living as disciples of Jesus, we still think, oh, now I can do it. No, you can't do it. That's the whole point. You can't do it. You have to lean on the Spirit. That's why you have to, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, pray in the Spirit at all times. You have to pray. Even your prayers, you can't do it. Romans 8, you don't even know what to pray for, but the Spirit knows. You have to lean on the Spirit. You have to walk by the Spirit. It's not your own strength. It's not your own wisdom. It's not your own strategy. It's not your own righteousness. It's all His. And the more we lean on Him and the more we trust Him and the more of a poverty of spirit we have that says, I can't do it and I don't have it, but he does, that's when we shine a light mm-hmm. on the brokenness that's in humanity. We shine a light through our humility, through our obedience, through our just total and utter dependence on God saying, I can't make it through a minute obedient if it, if not for the Spirit of God. And so we have to be praying without ceasing. We have to be leaning on him. We have to be leaning on his righteousness and saying, I am an utter wreck, but whatever good I might do, it's not me. It's the spirit working through me. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.